couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity with my wife, Monica, and some of my former PhD professors to visit the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a historical church. It uh, goes back to shortly before or shortly after the Civil War, uh, when in 1873 it was established as the first colored Baptist church in Birmingham. And there's a lot of history around it, but, but really what put this church in, in the world map and in the conscience of the world was something that happened in 1963 when the Ku Klux Klan planted a bomb in the basement of the church by the ladies' restroom. It was Sunday, September 15, 1963, at 10.22 a.m. while the church was gathering for worship. As we toured the church, the, the clock uh, had stopped at 10.22, was still there, remembering and reminding them of that time when the bomb went off, four little girls died, 20 people were injured. It was a sad day in the history of the church. It was a sad day in the history of the city. It was a very sad day for the world. And as I learned the history of these girls and these families and the church, I learned a lot. But one of the things that was really impressive to me was the fact that this church continues to meet every week for worship and continues to do ministry in its community. In fact, their slogan on their website is where Jesus Christ is the main attraction. 16th Street Baptist Church, where Jesus Christ is the main attraction. In, in all of the things that they are remembered for, they want to be remembered for the fact that they are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think what an incredible testimony. When a church suffers the consequence of hate and violence, but it does not deter it, from continuing to be faithful to God's call. A people whose faith is placed in something better and beyond what is immediate, what they can see right now. And the Bible calls us to this kind of faith. As God's people, we are called to, to trust like that. Today's message is entitled, A Better Country. And it speaks about a faith that is placed beyond the immediate, beyond what, what is here and now. In the first century, believers faced persecution. Faith is what saw them through. When, when they went through trials and difficulties, when they suffered violence, it was faith that helped them to continue. When the going got tough, the faithful kept going. And so, as we continue in our series called Jesus is Better in the chapter chapter 11 of Hebrews, the preacher expounds on this idea of faith. And he reminds his readers, he reminds his audience of how important it is to hold on to this kind of faith. And it's a message that you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, need to hear today as well. We need to be reminded today of those that have come before us and have had faith and have demonstrated faith in the most difficult of situations. And then we need to be reminded of our destiny, of where it is that we're heading, of where it is that we're going, so that then in the present, as we are mindful of the past, 
and as we are focused on the future, then in the present, our faith can be strengthened. So let's talk about that as we look at Hebrews chapter 11. And the first thing that we see here is the nature of faith. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 reads like this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There's this uh, declaration at the beginning of this chapter of the nature of faith. It is confident belief. It is uh, believing something that maybe we can't see, something that hasn't taken place yet, but we believe as if it had already happened. We believe as if it were a reality, even when we don't see it. <laughs> Someone came to visit me this week at my office, and, and they walked in with an umbrella. And I said, what in the world are you doing with an umbrella? It's not raining outside. He said, well, the forecast calls for rain, so I brought my umbrella. And I said, that's faith, brother. That's faith. It did sprinkle a little bit. Not, not anything that needed an umbrella, but the man had faith. Well, faith connects us to the invisible promises of God. It fills the gap between the present and the future. It, it connects us to those who have gone before us. Some have called this chapter 11 of Hebrews the hall of faith. Uh, you know that athletes get inducted into the hall of fame. But here we see the hall of faith. And the author mentions Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Joseph, Moses, Israel, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and others. It is a list of the people that were inducted into the hall of faith. But more than celebrities to be admired, more than saints to be enshrined, they are examples to be imitated. They are the models for us that we can imitate. And so we begin in this list of exemplars that are given to us, and we begin in verse 3, which I hope you'll find as interesting as I did. It says, by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And what I find extremely interesting here is as the author is about to give us exemplars of the faith, the first one that heads the list is God. He says, God spoke the universe into being from nothing. God saw in his mind what wasn't there yet, and he spoke it into being. He spoke the universe out of nothing. And in a way, he demonstrates for us how to have faith. Now, I'm not saying that you and I can speak reality. Don't, don't hear me say that. We're not God. But we know the God who speaks reality. We know the God who can speak something into being that is not. And we know that if he created the world with his word, that his word is reliable, is powerful, and is trustworthy. Faith is believing God's word even before it happens, even before we see it. So Noah stands out in redemption history as, a, as an example of this kind of faith, of, of believing something that you haven't seen yet and acting on it. We read about it in verse 7. If you go there with me, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir 
of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You know that God told Noah that he was going to bring about this great flood, and he gave instructions to Noah to build an ark, to build a giant ship where he could take a, a, a pair of every species of animals that would be saved from destruction. And, and the thing about it is that Noah had to begin the construction of this ark way before it started raining, way before the floods came, months, if not years. Can you imagine Noah and his family building a ship months and months before there's even rain, perhaps away from the ocean, perhaps away from any body of water? the craziness of people passing by and looking at Noah building a ship in the middle of dry land. But Noah did it because God said it and he believed it. He believed that it would happen whenever God said it would happen. And because he believed that he was saved, he and his family, he was counted, it says here, to him for righteousness. And so Noah reminds us that we walk by faith not by sight, that our current situation may not look like what God promised, but God's word is faithful. That what is going on around you may be discouraging to you. It may look like dry land, but the rain is coming. So build your ark, step into the faith that Noah had. Job, whenever he had lost everything, says in Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. In the end, sometimes we, we have to believe that, that somewhere at the end of the story, maybe our story, maybe the, the, the big story, that, that the Redeemer will stand there. Bible commentator mentioned how back in the first century, the Roman emperor Nero condemned the apostle Paul. But he says it's interesting that centuries later, fathers named their sons Paul and their dogs Nero. Things change. It may not look like that at the time. That's why we say, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's the nature of faith. It is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we cannot see but has been promised. Secondly, we see here the necessity of faith. What is the role of faith in relating to God? The Jewish Christians who made up the house churches to whom the Hebrews writer uh, is referring to or addressing knew all of the requirements of the law. They knew uh, the sacrificial system. They knew all these things that God had instituted for his people to relate to him. And so when the writer of Hebrews is saying, well, Jesus is better, Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice that does away with all the other sacrifices. Jesus is a better high priest so that all of the priesthood is ended now. Jesus is a better tabernacle so that the temple has no more function in the worship of God. And the Jewish believers might have asked, well, what about those that came before us? What about their adherence to the law? What about their observance of the rituals and the sacrifices? And so after giving us a definition of the faith, the, the preacher tells us this in verse 2 of Hebrews. Notice what it says. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
This is what the ancients were commended for. The, the writer here was saying, listen, faith is not a new way to relate to God. It's the way that God's people have always related to him. It's the way that he has expected others to relate to him always. It's not something new. And then he goes on to say in, in verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The one absolute essential in relating to God is faith. Everything else is secondary. Everything else should, should hinge on that faith, whether it was the sacrifices of the Old Testament, whether it was the commandments or any religious observance, it should hinge on faith because that's what God requires. If we, if we want to relate to God, we must believe that he exists. But beyond that mental belief of his existence, we must believe that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, we must believe that he is who he says that he is, that we, that we must trust in his character. I had the opportunity to officiate a funeral for uh, a young man that passed away yesterday. And, um, and one of the things in funerals uh, that people always want to do is they want to remember uh, the person. They want to remember their life and they want to have the memories of, of a life uh, that was well lived. But the other thing that people want to know at funerals is to have some kind of assurance of the eternal destiny of their loved one. And when their loved one has trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, it makes it so much easier for the preacher. Because in the midst of the grief and in the midst of the loss, we can tell the family, your loved one, your son or your daughter, your dad or your mom, your grandfather, placed their faith on Jesus. And because they did, they're spending eternity with him. And I'm always careful to say when, when I talk about people and, and what they've done and, and their church involvement and the contributions they've made, I'm always careful to say, but you know, so-and-so is not in heaven because they were good. They're in heaven because God is good. So good that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. People don't get to heaven by being religious. People don't get to heaven by being church members. People don't get to heaven by going to church. People get to heaven by placing their faith in Christ. And everything else that we do flows from that faith. We, we see the example uh, over and over again in the scriptures of people like that. And so we come to another exemplar by the name of Abel in verse 4 of, of chapter 11. I'm, I'm kind of skipping around. So let's go back to verse 4 where it says, By faith... Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was con commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Somehow, Abel and Cain, his brothers, that were going to offer sacrifices to God, Abel understood somehow, I don't know how, but he understood that what God wanted was a blood sacrifice. So he offered uh, one of his choice lambs from his flock. But, but Cain, on the other hand, perhaps thought, well, I know something better than that. I can bring harvest from, from, from the fields that I have cultivated. I can bring something that is cooler than a blood sacrifice, maybe. 
And, and so God commends Abel for his sacrifice because it was acted on by faith. It, it was an offering that said to God, I don't really know why God wants a blood sacrifice, but that's what he wants, so that's what I'm going to give him. When on the other hand, maybe Cain thought, I know better. I'll offer something from my own wisdom, from my own effort, from my own desires. And God did not accept Cain's offering, he accepted Abel's offering. See, I don't think that Abel really understood that one day God would offer the Lamb of God as the perfect blood sacrifice. Abel had no idea. But he had faith that what God required was what was necessary. He didn't understand that one day his blood sacrifice would point to the sacrifice of Jesus. But it was his faith that God commended him for. And even though he's dead, he continues to speak. The Bible tells us Abel was saved by faith. From Abel to Enoch to Abraham and beyond, every one of the people that were made right with God, that were made right with God by faith. They lived before the law. They did not know the law. They did not observe the sacrifices. And even the people like Moses and Israel who knew the law and who observed the sacrifices did not get made right with God through the law. They were made right with God through faith because no one could keep the entire law. There are two covenants in the Bible, as you know. There's the old covenant of the law, and then there's a new covenant of the Spirit. But both covenants hinge on faith. The old covenant sacrifices and laws pointed forward to the coming of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. The new covenant points backward to the work of Christ at Calvary. Both covenants meet in Christ. Both covenants require faith. That's what it means in verse 39. If you go there with me at the very end of the chapter, in chapter 11, listen to what it says. These were all commended. These is talking about all the people that, that he's listed. These were all commended for their faith. These are the ancients, the old covenant people. Yet none of them received what had, prom had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What an incredible statement. The writer is saying the ancients, the old covenant people, were, were not made perfect. They, they didn't receive what was promised. They just had enough faith for God to credit that faith so that when Christ came, they would be made perfect with us. Together, old covenant and new covenant people being made perfect in Christ. What an incredible reality. This is the necessity of faith. And then third and final, I want to talk to you about the nomadity of faith. You might know that the Roman Empire ruled for about a thousand years. They ruled from the city of Rome. And... Um, for most of those centuries, they were worshiped pagan gods. But towards the end, Christianity became the official religion of Rome, at least some kind of version of Christianity. I, I think it was uh, diluted 
version, if not syncretistic. Anytime that a church marries a state, then the church and the gospel are compromised and there's corruption. But, but that was the situation in Rome. Christianity was the religion and perhaps Christians believe we finally are in power. We finally can rule as Christians from Rome, the rest of the world. But in the year 1410, the Visigoths attacked Rome. They sacked it and they destroyed it. And the citizens of Rome were, were pretty shaken. The walls of Rome had not been breached in 800 years. Some people maybe have come to think that Rome was invisible, invincible. Maybe they thought that the Roman Empire would last forever. So on this day, there were questions. Why did this happen? Some started saying, well, maybe it's because we, we forsook our, our pagan gods and took on this new Christian God. Maybe that's our judgment. Maybe, maybe Christians were we're questioning why this was allowed to happen finally when Christianity was in charge and the, the official religion of the empire. And it is at this time when their faith was shaken that the bishop of Hippo, the uh, city in North Africa, was Augustine. And Augustine writes a book at this time called The City of God. And in it, he writes about two cities. He writes about the city of Rome, which had just been destroyed. And he writes about the city of God. And he says the following. Two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self. The heavenly by the love of God. And then he says, Rome is quintessentially a city of men. It is ephemeral, earthly, and like all other cities, designed to eventually pass away. The city of God, on the other hand, is stable, eternal, and the source of ultimate consolation. It is the city under God's command, and hence, the city that will ultimately come to triumph. And I think St. Augustine had it right. Our faith is not placed on an earthly city. It is placed on a heavenly city, the city of God. God's kingdom was not in Rome it was not in Israel ultimately, nor in any other city. That's why faith is nomadic. You know, when nomads are, are people who, who are living in a place temporarily because they're on their way somewhere else. And the Bible tells us that the very father of the Jewish nation, the very father of faith, Abraham, was a nomad. Listen to what verse 8 of chapter 11 says, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 11, 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. God called Abraham to leave his homeland and to go to a land that he promised to give him. Abraham didn't know where that was, but he left. He packed his things and he journeyed on to, to the land that God would show him. And, and in the meantime, he lived in tents. He lived 
as a sojourner. He lived as an immigrant. He lived as a stranger in the land. Even when he got to the promised land, the Bible says that he lived in tents. He did not build a permanent structure. Neither did his son Isaac. Neither, neither did his grandson Jacob. There were sojourners. There were pilgrims in the land. Perhaps some of the Jewish Christians had come to believe that the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise was in Jerusalem. That God had led his people from Egypt through the wilderness all the way to the conquest. And then the city of Jerusalem, the city on a hill, the city where the temple was built and where, where God's presence was to dwell was, was the ultimate place of his presence and blessing and fulfillment. One of the things that maybe they had forgotten is the fact that in the journey to the promised land, when God gives instruction for the tabernacle, the tabernacle is a tent. You know that God never gave instructions for a temple of stones, of brick and mortar? That was David's idea. It wasn't God's idea. David said, why should God live in the tent? And I think God would answer, because I want to. Because I'm a God that's on the move. And I want my people to know that they are on the move, that they are strangers in this world, that there is another world, another kingdom, another city that they should be traveling to. So the writer declares to the people of faith who came from Abraham that they died before they saw the country that God intended for his people. Let's keep on reading verse 13. It said all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not received the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Wouldn't you like God to say that about you? I am not ashamed to be called your God because of your faith. Because you have set your sights on a better country, on a better city. These people by faith had left their home country because God had promised them a better country. But even the country where they died was not the ultimate fulfillment it was not the ultimate destination. We're reminded today that on earth, kings and kingdoms rise and fall. The cities come to prominence and then they disappear, whether it's Jerusalem or Rome, whether it's London or Paris, whether it's Madrid or Berlin, whether it's Moscow or Washington, D.C. There's only one city that will last forever. There's only one city that is eternal. There is only one city that will be victorious in the end, and it is the city of God, the new Jerusalem. I grew up in a pastor's family, and we moved around a lot. Maybe some of you that grew up in a military home or in a federal law enforcement home understand what that means. That's why when people ask me where I'm from, or they do that little famous, so where is home for you? I'm like, oh, I don't know. My parents moved to Mexico City where I happened to be born 
there. I think it was a big accident. <laughs> and I lived there three years. And, and then uh, they moved to Monterey, Mexico, where they lived for another 10 years. During those 10 years in Monterey, uh, we, we lived in four different places in that city. We left a super big city for a smaller city. And then my parents moved to Edinburgh. And we lived in Edinburgh two years. And then we moved to a town called Beville for two years. And then we moved to a town called Freer. It kept getting smaller and smaller. And then we ended up in Corpus Christi. And, and so when I went to college and I said, when I start my family, I'm going to make sure that we don't move around as much as my dad did. So uh, Monica and I got married in Corpus Christi. Our oldest was born there. And we lived in Corpus Christi for eight years. And uh, pretty much the same place. And then God called us to Fort Worth, Texas to pastor a church there. We moved there, and two of our children were born there. Our children grew up there. The church became our extended family. Fort Worth became our home. We lived there 17 years. To this day, sometimes when people ask my wife, where are you from? Her first word is Fort Worth, because we were there for so long. And then called us, God called us here to McAllen 12 years ago to this incredible church called Calvary. And you have become our extended family. And this has become home for us. And, and, and we love you and, and we love being here. And, and we're so thankful because even our adult children who went away to college have moved back to the valley to be close to us. And we're thankful. And I'm thankful that I was able to not move my family as much as my dad moved us. But even in that, the scripture reminds me today that I ought to metaphorically live in a tent, that I am a pilgrim, that I'm a sojourner, an immigrant, a stranger in this world, that this world is not my home. This is not my final destination. And so I ought to hold loosely to, to whatever roots I want to establish. I'm not saying that I should be irresponsible. I'm not saying that I should not care about where God has placed me. I always have believed that you're supposed to bloom where God has placed you. So I live here. I pay taxes here. I vote here. I love my neighbor here. I make a difference here. As long as I'm here, I will do my best to honor God. But I hold loosely to wherever I am because my faith is placed on a city with a sure foundation whose architect and builder is God. The city of God. That's where my sights are set. And I think that if we as people of faith understand that, if we understand that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, then we will be better citizens here in this country. When we understand our final destination, when we know where we're going and that we will be victorious, when we know when the story ends and as we live here, we will be good stewards. We will shine our light. We'll be the salt of the earth. We'll live by faith and not by sight. Things may look like they're falling apart. Things may look like they're crumbling, but we know how this story ends. And so we stay on it. We become the faithful ones who continue to give an example of that faith. We see exactly how the people of old did that in verse 38, verse 32 rather. He says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, 
Jephthah and about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. What incredible example of faith. People who were faithful against all odds, who, who received victory when, when, it was, when it was required that a miracle would happen. And then those who, who didn't survive, who were tortured, who died, believing that, that their death was not in vain, that they were going to a city, a better city, a better country. Are, are you moved by these models? Are you moved by these exemplars of the faith? Are we encouraged to be reminded today if Jesus is better, then he's worthy. He's worthy of our surrender. He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our faithfulness. Regardless of what we see, regardless of what we feel, regardless of what it looks like, let's be faithful. We're pilgrims marching on to Zion. Amen? Let's stand together as you think about how you will respond to God's message today. Allow me to pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of the kind of faith that you require. Thank you for these examples like Noah and Abel and Abraham and so many others mentioned here who were faithful to you, who walked by faith and not by sight. Father, forgive us today when we have demanded to see before we believe, when we have tried to give up because things don't look good around us, when we become discouraged because things are not going our way. Forgive us our lack of faith. And help us today to, to be strengthened in our faith, God. If there's someone here today who has never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, who's never received this free gift of salvation, that today would be the day where they confess you, where they trust you, where they receive you. And for all believers here today, Father, may you strengthen our faith. May we live with faithfulness regardless of the circumstances. Help us not to fall so in love with this city, with this world, with this country, that we neglect our love for the better country the better city, the better kingdom. Help us to fall in love with that so that we can be useful here and now. Whatever you're calling us to do right now, 
Let your spirit move about and do it.